The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to take a moment to welcome members of our armed forces who are tuning in from around the world over the Internet today, and also new listeners in San Francisco, New York City, Chicago, Miami, Anchorage, and from coast to coast throughout all 50 states. Thank you for making us part of your Newsweek. Today, we're going to break from our usual format to hear from two guests during the first hour. In just a moment, former governor of Arizona, Jan Brewer, will be joining the program to talk about a subject we hear very little about in this year's presidential campaign, a subject that affects employment, violence, social justice, our ability to compete abroad, and our overall sense of happiness and well-being. And that is the subject of education. How does our education system compare with the rest of the world? And what do we need to get it back on the right path? Then following Jan Brewer, we'll be getting an update from pollster and political commentator Dick Morris about how the presidential candidates are doing. As you know, Morris has his hand firmly on the pulse of the American voter. So stay tuned. Following Jan Brewer, we'll be talking with Dick Morris. But first, one of our nation's strongest advocates for education reform, former governor of Arizona, Jan Brewer. Welcome to the program, Governor. Oh, nice to be with you, Rebecca. Thanks so much for having me on. So give us a quick update on where the U.S. stands relative to the rest of the world when it comes to education and why this has become something that uh, you have really leaned into. Well, it's poor. We we, we, uh, tested out as being not uh, compatible uh, or even comparable to so many different countries um, and including math and English, uh, basic standards. And, you know, as a mother and as a former legislator, uh, I got involved uh, in uh, education because of my children. I had gone to a school board meeting, and I didn't like what I was hearing. And as a young mother, of course, I wanted my kids to be educated, to be able to compete in the world. And so I thought I would work for the school board, and my husband mentioned to me that I should probably go for the legislature if I really wanted to have an impact. And I thought, really? And uh, he said, yes. And I thought about it for a couple of days. And then I said, I will do that. I I really care. I care enough about my kids to do whatever I can. I think I could do a pretty good job. I said, would you support me? He said, yes. I said, financially. I don't have to ask for any money. And he said, yes. And that was the beginning of my political career. It was all about education. I had three young boys. And I knew that the world uh, was getting bigger and bigger, and uh, we were doing jobs all over globally, and we needed to be able to compete 
with uh, China and India and Western Europe and everywhere. And I just didn't see it happening. So your crusade to reform education really started as a concerned mother. Right, right. I I always tell people when they run for the school board, be careful where you'll end up. You'll end up with a lot more on your plate. And you did. (laughs) Yes, but it's because of mothers, I think. Fathers, too, but mothers, other nurturers. Um, you know, they, 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 they worry about their kids' future. Uh, uh, I think maybe a little bit more, maybe not. In my family, I thought that I worried overly uh, uh, too much, maybe sometimes, about my kids' future. Because I think in those days, when I was young, the men were out there making money. The mothers were staying home, and you realized how tough it was. And dads were out there trying to put food on the table. Well, tell us yeah, specifically, what, what do you attribute our trailing education system to? A, a poor education system, period. Nobody but what is it about the system that's nobody, failing nobody, students? Nobody holds anybody accountable. The, the test scores were always uh, skewed about. You couldn't compare Arizona with California. You couldn't compare California with Texas. Everybody was doing their own thing. And that was the big local control. We're going to educate our kids. But in this transit society that we have, it doesn't work. And so you might think your kids are going to the very best school. You think they're getting the very best teachers. But how do you compare my children with the children, say, in New York City or in Illinois who have different standards? And it just never made any sense to me. It shouldn't make any sense to anybody. We need good, common, uh, comparable standards across our country so that we know that our kids, are if they're doing well, that we know that truly that they that they can compete with other children throughout the United States and the world. What do you and say to people who are are concerned that the teachers unions are uh, very protective of uh, their jobs and uh, in some instances get in the way of education reform? Well, and that is true. Uh, you know, I have had my battles with the teacher unions, but I've also had lots of supporters that are teachers and we have some really fantastic teachers and now I think with the adoption of uh, what we call college and career ready in Arizona or Common Core and some other states that has been adopted so we're on our way we are on our way to be able to change all that and the teachers have gotten on board uh, Common Core got a you know a, a bad rap if you will Rebecca uh, I think that it was overblown, but of course, as we all know now, because of the uh, the ESSA, the Every Student Succeed Act enabling law that was passed last year, um, that has long been the point of uh, of uh, controversy regarding Common Core, the federal entanglement, because we want local control and race to the top. Um, but uh, the adoption of the standards and the selections has ended. ESSA has ended it, so there should be no more concern. The federal government is out of the picture in the way that it was attended. And when I enacted College and Career Ready Common Core in Arizona, there was pushback, but I plunged ahead. I got it through, and it still remains today. But the intent has been tweaked so that it would be totally, completely under the control of the state of Arizona and the Department of Education. But who can argue with basic, comparable uh, standards for math and English? It just doesn't make any sense. 
Well, up until 1979, when President Carter established the Department of Education, for almost 100 years, education was left up to the state and local government. So how much of the problem with education is a result of taking authority away from those that are closest to the problem? Well, you know, the Department of Education would have input. They would have uh, a lot of input, basically. And uh, there was pushback, but there wasn't the pushback that uh, we're seeing today with with Common Core. I think that uh, people are just so fed up with the federal government, they don't want it anymore. But we believe, I believe strongly, I mean, I'm a conservative Republican, I believe in local control. But I knew way back in 1983, something had to be done. Something had to be done. And when Race to the Top came, it made sense to me. I established a a huge committee. I brought teachers in. I brought principals in. I brought parents in. I brought the Department of Education in. And we came to the conclusion that this is what we wanted to do. And we enacted it. And uh, because of the the negativity of Common Core, I changed the name to College and Career Ready. And it has settled down. It has completely settled down, I think, throughout the country. Because kids want their uh, children to be educated. One of the biggest, biggest factors, uh, particularly in Arizona or, or states that have military bases, we've got military families that are very, very transit. And their kids move. And what happens is that they move into another state that is that their classes uh, are so far ahead that they just sit there and they just waste their time um, because uh, they are so far ahead of them. And then they lose. Uh, yes. They need to know. So there's no real balance in the whole situation. You're either behind or you're ahead. So you're either wasting your time or you never catch up. Well, I'm familiar with that. We, I was raised in a military family, and uh, my father was stationed out in Japan, and we had calculus in third grade. So, <laughs> so by the time they moved me to some of the American schools, you know, they wanted to uh, advance me several grades, but uh, my parents were wise about that, and they said, well, yeah, that doesn't mean she's matured, so we'll just have her be a little bored. Uh, we have to take our first break, but stay right where you are. We'll be back with more from Jan Brewer. You're listening to the Costa Report. Imagine hearing the words, your child has cancer. The emotional impact is staggering. They tell you that treatment may last for years. And you travel the long road between hospital and home. Your financial worries multiply. And you want to stay strong for everyone, especially your child. But nobody understands. Your friends and family don't get it. Where do you turn? For the last 18 years, Jacob's Heart has provided essential support to families enduring the unimaginable. We have been there from the time of diagnosis all the way through the course of treatment, regardless of the outcome. With no government funding and no reimbursement for services, Jacob's Heart relies 100% on support from our community to make miracles happen for families. Please support Jacob's Heart by going to our website, jacobsheart.org. Or call us at 831-724-9100. Make a difference in the life of a child. Thank you. 
If you're wondering what to do with all that data you're creating, do I have an offer for you? Tableau is drag-and-drop software that people of any skill level can use to analyze and turn data into something actionable. That's right. I said actionable. And isn't that what all that data is for? With Tableau, you can connect to any data in virtually any format and visualize it on the fly. Databases, spreadsheets, even big data sources are instantly combined into usable charts, graphs, reports, and dashboards. People can analyze data and drag and drop at 10 times the speed of a traditional business intelligence system. But the most impressive thing about Tableau is that anyone can use it. And just to prove the point, you can get a free 14-day trial from Tableau just by mentioning you heard this ad. But do it now, because this offer won't last. For your free 14-day trial, visit Tableau at T-A-B-L-E-A-U dot com slash Costa. That's Tableau.com slash Costa. Tableau Software. What's your data trying to tell you? The sun is high in the sky, which means it's time to get your RV and trailers ready to roll. Hi, I'm Rena Mills, owner of RV Service Center of Santa Cruz, your locally owned RV parts and repair center with over 38 years of service to the Central Coast community. In addition to RV repairs, our qualified staff services and maintains boat, horse, and utility trailers, in addition to toy haulers. We also restore vintage RVs and work hand-in-hand with all insurance companies to ensure that your RV is restored to its original condition. Fisherman RV Service Center is now offering 20% off its axle service for your boat trailer, a must-do every two years or 5,000 miles. Get your RV and trailers ready to roll with the help of your friends at RV Service Center. You'll find us easy to reach and easy to use at 2525 Mission Street, Cross Streets, Mission and Swift Streets in Santa Cruz. Call us at 831-427-0881 or RVS CSC.com. Money can't make you happy, but the lack of it can sure add a lot of stress to your life. Need help with your personal finances? Listen Thursday nights at 7 p.m. to Money Moves. Host Pamela Fugit Hedrick offers one hour of free tips and tools to help you manage your cash flows with her Money Moves. Each Thursday night, she discusses topics like how to prevent a complete personal financial meltdown, how to start a go-to fund for emergencies, provide ideas on how to cut back rather than cutting out some of your expenses, how to erase your debt load and financial stressors, how to find funding for your retirement, how the heck do you enroll to use health insurance, No more excuses. Money Moves can answer these questions and so much more. Tune in Money Moves with your host, Pamela Fugit-Hedrick, Thursday night from 7 to 8 p.m. to work on your Money Moves. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former governor of Arizona, Ms. Jan Brewer. And, Ms. Brewer, you were saying that you're in favor of Common Core because it sets uniform standards across the country, and uh, you changed the name of Common Core in your own state in order to navigate around some of the bad rap that Common Core has gotten. Is that right? Absolutely. And, and you know, and it has been adopted in 43 states. And you know, the bottom line, Rebecca, is that the the original intent of the standards was to have a basic set of math and English standards to ensure that our kids are ready for life after school. And that uh, has been uh, accomplished, and it has been now adopted. And I think we're seeing uh, 
a tap down uh, of, of, of people's concern out there regarding the federal government involvement. That's what the whole issue was. Well, let me ask it you something. Under the local control. Yeah, let, let me ask you something here. If we've got standards like Common Core, right, and we're going to give the ex- implementation of Common Core back to the states. Do we need a Department of Education? Because right now the Department of Education has about 4,000 employees and a budget of $70 billion. But among our nation's 17-year-olds, as you know, more, more better than most, reading levels have remained flat since 1971. Mass scores are only slightly better they were when the Department of Education was formed. This department has failed to deliver any tangible result given a lot of money and a lot of people. So now that we have these standards, do we really need this big department? You know, I would say no, we don't. I think that we need to be able to have a a center uh, across the United States, something that would be operating some type of database so that we could act, uh, we could compare. We need to have some place where we can compare our store, our scores and our tests, and we need to know that the tests are equal and so that the data can't be skewed. I have never met, well, I have. I have met some others, but I have never met some parents. I have not met a lot of parents that don't believe that their kids don't have the best teachers and the best uh, schools. They all want to believe that. But it's not true. It's, it, we know that from school district to school district, that, that there's a difference right in your own state, let alone across the country. So we need somewhere to have all this data to know that these tests that are being given are of uh, the same basic level. They can make them tougher if they want to. But the basic bottom line has got to be able to be compared across our country so that we know what's going on now. Whatever format takes, you know, it could be, um, you know, a Department of Education. I don't think it takes what we're spending in Washington to D.C. today. But we have to be able to have some form of information accessible to the state. No, why don't all the states just get together? Why don't they appoint someone, you know, a minister of education in every state and have them all meet quarterly like uh, like large global corporations do? Uh, you, do we really need 4,000 employees in a $70 billion no, budget? We don't. we don't. I agree with you, Rebecca. I, I mean, you know, look, I, I, I'm a scientist. I look at results. I look at empirical results. If you can show me that a, that a program or a new department, a new law, uh, new legislation, anything, uh, produces an actual empirical result, I'm in favor of it. But if you spend that much money and have that many people, and, and you've produced no results since the 1970s, and education has been flat, uh, that's my definition of a failure. Right, something's not working, and that's interesting. 1970, you know, I had kids in school at that time, and I was concerned. I, you know, it was, uh, it hasn't worked out. So that is why the state, 43, including D.C., have adopted uh, the, the Common Core, and some have uh, changed the name of it. But well, at least we have those standards that we can compare, and they can reach out to those states. And, uh, you know, what the dynamics, how you're going to be able to, to make the Department of Education on the federal level smaller and smaller, we at least now, because of ESSA, have taken the federal government involvement um, out of this discussion, the federal entanglement uh, surrounding uh, the adoption of standards and selections of assigned 
Nice. Well, now you were one of the very, very early Republicans right. to come out in support of Donald Trump. And, and I'm a very good conservative Republican. You are a conservative Republican, but Donald Trump has said time and time again he wants to abolish Common Core. Now, have you had this yeah. conversation with him? Have you set no, him straight? I no, I haven't, but I certainly agree with Donald on a lot of different subjects, like economic growth, job creation, and immigration, but I don't agree with him on everything, and education is not one of them. I hope that when he gets elected as president, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with him and his staff and uh, help him along in the mindset, because everybody out there that is talking about Common Core, it's that buzzword. I believe it's, it's, it's like the boogeyman out there that everybody's afraid <laughs> of, you know, and that's why I think, and even before other people even start talking about changing, I was in my boardroom with my policy people, and I said, well, why don't we just change the name? It just seems so simple, you know, because it, it was the name Common Core that let everybody out. I don't, I, I can't imagine any parent, any parent not wanting their kids to have the best education and that they would want a set of comparable standards for English and math that we could compare. Well, it seems to me that with the Internet these days, it would be easy for parents if the resource was made available, which it is not. It would be easy to track their child's performance against the national average. However, that only works if the national average is different. If if there's a systemic problem in our education, right. the national average will be too low. So comparing yourself to other schools that are also uh, defective in some way is not really uh, going to do any good, is it? No, that's why you have to have that baseline standard for math and English mm-hmm. so that it can be compared and you need oversight to make sure that it's not being tweaked or jiggy-rigged or, or certain naysayers out there from the federal government getting involved in it, basically. We so need- what we're really talking about is oversight. You want some kind of right. standards and baseline right. so that the local schools have oversight. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, have, and, and, and the teachers have been trained now in all of this, and the, and the test, they didn't do so well in the AV merit test and stuff, but that's our beginning. So now we can start, you know. I mean, we've got certain classes that did good because they had the, the teaching that was important to these kids last year and, the, and starting the year before. But now we're going to see these kids that can be compared, and the standards will grow with that. Yeah, well, you and know, as usual, we're impatient, and we don't allow some of these systems to produce a result because we get in such a big hurry, and we say, see, it's not working. But one right. thing we do know is the Department of Education is not working, and uh, that might be a place that Mr. Trump might want to start before he throws Common Core out, out the window. But, uh, Governor, I know that you've got a I know that you've got a hard stop here, Governor, so let me thank you for being with us today. Thank you for... Uh, thank you for taking on education. It's an important subject, and I hope we hear a lot more about it uh, from both the Trump and Clinton campaigns. Thank you, Ms. Well, Brewer. I will talk to Donald Trump about it. Thank you, Rebecca. We have to take a scheduled break, but stay tuned. Next up, the man who has his hand on the pulse of the American voter, Mr. Dick Morris. You're listening to the Costa Report.
Now, if you've been listening to the Costa Report, you know that I'm a big fan of wines by Caraccioli Cellars. And today I'm here with Scott Caraccioli, who's one of the brains behind the most memorable wines money can buy. So I have a question for you. How did your family get into the wine business? Um, You know, in 2006, my father, his brother and uncle were really playing with the idea of planting a vineyard. And planting a vineyard turned into making a bottle, turned into making sparkling wine when um, Michelle came into the picture. So it was really kind of an organic situation, us being in agriculture in the Salinas Valley. And then the extension of that went to grapes. And here we are today. To find out more about Caraccioli Wines, visit us at www.caracciolicellars.com or stop by our tasting room in downtown Carmel, California. That's Caraccioli Cellars, C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I, Cellars, where one bottle is never enough. Hey, Patricia, I heard you were setting up a new home office. Yeah, Sam, I've been staring at this home office for dummies book for hours, and I still can't figure out the difference between a LAN and a WAN. We'll call user-friendly computing. They can help you set up an internal home network. But what about my wireless printer? What about it? They have all the answers to your network, workstation, or internet problems. They even provide outsourced IT for businesses big or small. User-friendly computing provides professional guidance to you for new computer purchases or network configurations. They also provide on-site professional support to your staff for everyday computer and network issues. User-friendly computing is locally owned at 505 River Street across from the Gateway Plaza. Or you can give them a call at 831-423-9653. That's 831-423-9653. Hi, Registered Pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years, and what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, it may change your life. While many hormones are regulated as prescription drugs, there are several important ones that are available over the counter. Progesterone and pregnenolone are two that immediately come to mind. You can get both online and in health food stores, and each provide relaxing and estrogen-balancing benefits. Another important over-the-counter hormone is called DHEA. Bodybuilders love DHEA for its muscle-building properties. DHEA is also important for supporting the health of the immune system. It can be especially helpful for fighting cancer. In one study on breast cancer-prone mice, DHEA supplementation reduced tumor incidence by 50 to 100 percent. And if you're trying to lose weight, DHEA can be helpful for you too. In one study from Temple University, DHEA-treated mice tended to stay thin no matter how much they ate. In a second study, middle-aged obese rats lost weight when fed DHEA-supplemented food. In fact, if ever there was a hormone with lots of positive health benefits, this is the stuff. Back in the 1980s, the FDA actually banned over-the-counter sales of DHEA. These days, DHEA is readily available and reasonable amounts can be taken with rare side effects and no toxicity. Overdosing on DHEA may lead to some acne or maybe some hair loss, but you've really got to take a lot to experience these effects, which reverse upon dose reduction. With all these benefits, DHEA can be considered the quintessential hormone of wellness. Because natural DHEA levels tend to decline as we get older, supplementing with a small amount, maybe 5 to 10 milligrams a day as father time takes its toll on our bodies, is probably a good idea. Pharmacist Ben here, urging you to go to kscohealth.com to order Beyond Tangy Tangerine, the Healthy Start Pack, and other nutritional supplements that I personally use and recommend. You can purchase these premium quality products at wholesale prices online at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. I'm the pharmacist that believes that staying healthy and strong is not only about medicine, it's about giving your body the raw materials it needs to do its work. Go to kscohealth.com. Make sure you check out the cool videos too at kscohealth.com. 
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and we are waiting for uh, Mr. Dick Morris. I am sitting here with uh, Charles Friedman, and, you know, Charles is, is shaking his head. I'm, no, I'm not. You're, you're, sh- you're shaking your head because. I am? Yeah, because, <laughs> because you think that Trump may have chosen his vice presidential running mate. Huh? Well, this is this is the late breaking news uh, just today was that Donald Trump has decided that Indiana Governor Mike Pence is going to be his running mate. Now, from what I understand, there will be an official announcement from the Trump campaign, I guess, at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. And there are some people saying, well, uh, the news media may have gotten this wrong. I don't know. But well, um, CBS is reporting. Let's say that CBS and the a Indi- couple of the other Indianapolis, large- The Indianapolis Star has the story. That's right. Pence's hometown paper from, right. from the state capitol there. Um, it, it's not I, – I guess it's possible that it could be someone else. But right now, the operating theory is that Mike Pence is the man. Mm-hmm. And, and what do you think about that? Do you have any thoughts about whether that helps the Trump campaign? Well, you know, I always think in terms of what does this nominee bring to the ticket in terms of electability. But you know what? That may be 20th century thinking. I look at George W. Bush. He selected Richard Cheney. Dick Cheney didn't bring a vote to that ticket. Bush wanted him as vice president. That was why he was selected. Um, I don't think jo- uh, that Joe Biden brought many votes to the Democratic ticket uh, of Barack Obama. He's from Delaware. That's a Democratic well, state. It only has three electoral he, votes. So he did bring labor. Well, the, he tapped the, labor. But the president, President Obama may have reasoned, look, Obama, uh, Biden is a senator, has been one for years. The, sen- the vice president has one constitutional responsibility. That's to preside over the Senate. I believe a, an intelligent president could use the office of vice president as his conduit to the Capitol. And I think Mr. Biden has been used in that regard several times by Mr. Obama. I offer him compliments on this. And I'm I'm not in the habit of handing compliments to Mr. <laughs> Obama because normally I, I don't see things eye to eye with him. But as I look at this strategy on his part, I see that his selection of a longtime senator to be vice president uh, has an awful lot to be said for it. Now, uh, advance to Mr. Pence. He's never been a senator, but he has been a congressman mm-hmm. for 12 years. Uh, and I noticed Paul Ryan, the House Speaker, was effusive and prompt in his praise. Well, he's worked closely with Mike Pence. He knows this man's accomplishment and professionalism. He wasn't just a Republican congressman. He was a standout. That's why he was tabbed to run for governor of Indiana. Now he's been tabbed for vice president of the United States. So he's obviously a man of exceptional ability and qualification. Um Politically, what does he bring? Uh, any Republican who needs to worry about shoring up Indiana is dead, dead, dead. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't think so, he's looking at shoring up Indiana, exactly, but maybe the exactly. central part of the United States. Exactly. So let's and, look, and carry let's, over into Ohio let's look, as an example. Let's, let's look broader than that. Mr. Pence is a movement conservative, and Donald Trump has had trouble with some of the movement conservatives who say, quite rightly, Donald Trump is not a doctrinaire conservative. Don, uh, Mr. Pence may be Donald Trump's effort to reach out to those people and reassure them and say, yes, I am a conservative. Look who I've just put on my ticket. Well, let's talk about uh, vice presidents. Generally speaking, they've had a very minimal impact on uh, elections, just in general, in modern times. That's uh, true. And, and, and but, usually the impact they have had when they've had one has been negative. Look at Spiro Agnew. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And Sarah Palin. As an example, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so you you can go wrong 
but the upside generally is is not very great. Agreed. I always break it down to three possible strategic advantages that in selecting a vice presidential candidate. One, uh, somebody that can help you with a swing state. Right. Right. Two, somebody that can help you raise money right. if you needed that. I think in this election, that's probably going to be uh, well, not not is, as big a concern. We can talk about this later on, but that's one of my big concerns about the Trump campaign. Go ahead. Right. right. So you either got swing states, you got money, or you're looking at a particular demographic you don't do well. Or a voting group. Yeah. Right. A voting group. Uh, it might be people of color, might be women, it might be labor, you know, but there might be some voting group where you have some exposure and, and you have some weakness See, and you might be looking to shore that up. Those are the only three strategic, uh, uh, you know, uh, buckets, if you will, that you would look at. You look at Kennedy as an example. No love lost between him and, and uh, LBJ. Quite the contrary. But, yeah, but he, but, he, but he had some weakness in the South. You well, know, he for wanted, sure. Yeah, he wanted Texas and and the murder states, and he got them with Johnson. Yeah, and he got them with Johnson, and and, and he got them in spades with Johnson. So, so the the fact the fact is is that you know you're either looking at one of those three things. What I'm very curious about is if Pence. Now we don't we don't know because uh, the official announcement, the unofficial announcement, is <laughs> Trump's picking Pence. Yeah. The the official announcement has not been made, and since the media, and I need to make this point, since the media has been wrong with just about everything we've predicted you know i uh, I, I may be uh, you and i may be eating our words on this right it's possible right that that's a possibility now uh listen i i'm gonna i'm gonna ki- pick this up on the other side of the break here because oh, i understand we that we've got interview? we've got dick morris on the line and we do not want to miss the man who knows how the american voter is going to vote in november mr morris hey how are you doing hey hey we're so glad to talk to you well, thank you. Well, thank you. First of all, I I got to congratulate you on this blockbuster Armageddon your new book because you. Uh, you lay out a point by point strategy on how Trump can beat Clinton. Right. You're the well, first one uh, to do it. Yes. Well, it's really two books. One is an encyclopedic reference work on every negative that ever existed on Hillary, and the other is a strategy for Trump to win. And he's following it nicely with the designation of Pence, if indeed that happens. He's, um, the, I've, I've, my, I told, in the book I re- we write, that he has to fight with two hands, like a good boxer. There's the right jab, which is what Pence is. Uh, Obamacare, illegal immigration, build a wall, social conservatism, and all that. Then there's the left hook, where he talks about the issues that appeal to the Bernie Sanders voters. And he does that on trade, uh, opposing the TPP. And I look forward to his coming down against big banks and stuff like that. Uh, you got to fight a two-front war here. But before you roll out the carpet, you have to make sure it's tacked down in the beginning so it doesn't roll up behind you. And that's what Mike Pence is about. It's about assuring the Republican Party and the base that he is a Republican, that he will be a conservative, and that his appointments will reflect their philosophy as well as his. And uh, by naming Pence to that position, he relieves a great deal of anxiety and stimulates, I think, a good deal of enthusiasm. But isn't he, by naming a older white male, playing into Clinton's accusation that he's not an inclusive candidate? I mean, from an optics, just an optics standpoint, you got two older white males standing on a stage. Uh, what does that do for attracting the vote of, of the people of color, of, of uh, women, uh, you know, well, places where Trump is weak right now? We all know that. I mean, your polls indicate it. Well, it's, 
it's a double-edged sword uh, because uh, the key reason that Romney lost was that 10 million older white men stayed home. Yeah, and that's right. Think of, your, think of your garage mechanic and your construction worker stayed home because they felt, they felt Romney was too elitist, too much part of the global economy, the vulture capitalist. And Trump yeah, they called him the Ken doll. Yeah. And Trump has sort of redefined politics as the insiders against the outsiders. And that is very attractive to the white male vote that he has brought out. Those who have not been to college, those who are in bad dead-end jobs and are really upset. Now, in terms of the women vote, um, I think that there's the key point here is that you can separate married women from single women. Mm. Uh, Married women generally have the same economic outlook uh, that their husbands do. It's a shared family. They're both worried about he or her losing her job, about illegal immigrants competing for the next job, and all of those that stuff that animates the conservatives. Uh, Single women and blacks and Latinos are very important to the Republican Party and to Trump. But you got to find other strategies to reach them. Yeah, well, I uh, for, frankly, I thought a vice presidential pick might be a good statement to make. But uh, we've got to take a short break to hear from our sponsors. When we come back, we'll find out how much Bernie Sanders, Bill Clinton, and President Obama's support helps candidate Clinton. You're listening to the Costa Report. Every day our world gets more complicated. Not only is new information coming at us faster than we can manage, new regulations, technology, and the effects of globalization have made it much more difficult to succeed. That's why I wrote The Watchman's Rattle, a book that, for the first time, explains how complexity makes it hard to separate facts from fiction and eventually causes us to make important decisions based on unproven beliefs. And not just us, our leaders also fall prey to this phenomena. But here's the good news. Once you know the symptoms to watch for, you can safeguard against them. So please, go to RebeccaCosta.com. That's RebeccaCosta.com. And order your copy of The Watchman's Rattle. It only takes a few minutes and the shipping is free. That's RebeccaCosta.com. Do it now. You'll be glad you did. Big data is changing the way organizations work. From data-driven marketing and ad targeting to the connected car, Big Data is fueling product innovation and new revenue opportunities. It's creating a culture in which business and IT leaders join forces to realize value from all data. They infuse analytics everywhere and make speed a differentiator, gaining competitive advantage from faster, more informed decisions. Leading organizations are creating new business models, developing new roles, and defining new big data architectures, including an infrastructure that can manage and process exploding volumes of structured and unstructured data, in motion as well as at rest, while protecting data privacy and security. Find out how IBM Big Data and Analytics can transform your business. Visit www.ibm.com slash big data today.
Not available in all states. Whoa, what do you have there? It's a Reese's Irvy's frozen yogurt. We just had our robot make one. A robot made your frozen yogurt? Yes, from Reese's Irvy's, the world's first fully interactive robot vending machine that serves nine flavors of delicious yogurt with six amazing toppings. And it's available for an exclusive franchise opportunity. Wait, you mean I can own my own frozen yogurt robots? And make money at the same time. These robots are the future of frozen yogurt franchising. They can be placed almost anywhere and operate 24-7. Malls, theme parks, grocery stores, you name it. A robot that serves frozen yogurt. That's revolutionary. Exactly. Reason Irvy's Froyo robots are taking the market by storm. No more messy yogurt bars, long lines, or do-it-yourself machines. Just delicious frozen yogurt in 60 seconds or less. Anytime, anywhere. How do I get my own Reese and Irvy's robots? It's easy, but you better act now. Locations and machines are going fast. Just go to FroyoFranchising.com and enter promo code 1919. That's FroyoFranchising.com, promo code 1919. Has anybody told you about Coast to Coast AM tonight? Can the power of your thoughts bring you riches? I'm George Norrie, and Mitch Horowitz joins us on our next program to talk about Napoleon Hill's classic, Think and Grow Rich, followed by How to Have an Out-of-Body Experience. You don't want to miss it. It's the best in overnight talk radio, Coast to Coast AM. Listen to Coast to Coast tonight, beginning at 10 p.m. on KSCO. Join me, Ruth Copland, on Saturday evening, 8 till 9, for It's a Question of Balance, the show where we balance the intellectual with the creative, featuring thought-provoking conversations, out and about with people on the street on different topics, and in the studio with inspiring local, national, and international guests from the arts. Discussion and creativity, two of the most vital ways we engage with the world. I look forward to you joining me, Ruth Copland, 8 to 9, Saturday evening on KSCO. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and we've been speaking with pollster and political analyst Dick Morris. And I take it you feel Pence would be a good choice for a Trump running mate. Yeah, I think he would be. I I want to come back to what you said right before the break, Yep, that it might have been better to have chosen a woman. It would, except none of them are any good. Uh, <laughs> no, you mean none of the candidates he was reviewing are any good? None of the not not none any of the, none of the women. No, no, I'm saying any of the, none of the women. I don't want to get hate mail from anybody. <laughs> none of the women who are of a stature to be selected, yes, are necessarily able to handle it. Uh, Mary Fallon, the governor of Oklahoma, is very good, but I, I think in prime time she could be another Sarah Palin. Uh, I think you have Marsha Blackburn, who's very good, but fairly one from Tennessee, Congresswoman, uh, but fairly unidimensional and not broadly versed in a range of, of stuff. Mm-hmm. Condi Rice would be terrific, but she didn't want to do it. Um, and and I think that the problem he faced is that it would be kind of stretch to name somebody like that, and it would end up, and it could end up creating a Sarah Palin, who I believe was terrific, but I think she was lazy and not doing her homework and ended up uh, seeming uh, to be ignorant, which in fact is not. Um, and I think that he had, so I think Trump did very well with the, in playing the hand he was dealt. I would be more enthusiastic, frankly, about Gingrich, um, but mm-hmm. I think that that may be just too independent for, for Trump. 
Yeah, but, you know, I worry about the optics of things. You know, the main message that Clinton seems to be uh, beating the drum on is inclusion. Let's include everyone. Let's not yeah, single the, out Muslims. Let's the, not single out blacks, so on and so forth. And, and you know, if he would have particularly found a black female running mate, it would have dealt yeah. a blow to that attack. Yeah, particularly one that was... Handicapped and gay. That, okay, so we just needed ha- we just needed Condi right. Rice to show up in yeah. a wheelchair and declare she was a, yeah d- declare she was a lesbian and we would have been uh, fine there. <laughs> I, I think that I think that you're missing the point which I make in the book. Mm-hmm. Gender gap used to mean women disagreeing with men and going off and voting on their own. Now it means men disagreeing with women and going off and voting on their own. If you see the see our society as concentric circles, and you see the white male at the center of that circle with about 37% of the vote in the United States, mm-hmm. they are the ones who are becoming massively disaffected. They're the ones who say the system works for everybody else, but not for me. And there's preference for everybody else, but I don't get any. And as and you point I, out, they're the ones that don't show up and vote. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a, I think that Hillary has gone way too far in exploring the circumference and is at risk of losing the center. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, Clinton has had a hard time getting traction with younger voters. Uh, but, you know, we've got Sanders endorsing her. And of course, Obama was very successful with younger voters. Is that going to help? Well, it helps, but you've got to start with the fact that 67% of the American people think Hillary Clinton is a liar. <laughs> That's the latest poll, 67%, not honest or trustworthy. And uh, it's very hard to imagine 17% of the American voters, uh, one out of every six, voting for a candidate who they think is a liar. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. And I think that that Hillary can get traction, but I think there's definitely an upper limit on it. And I think what Trump has to be is acceptable. Look, there's one basic reality of this race. We're talking about my book, Armageddon, how Mm -hmm. Trump can beat Hillary, which is that Hillary is in trouble because of what she's done. Trump is in trouble because of what he said. Trump can always walk back what he said. Hillary can't walk back what she's done. Uh, that's an interesting point. And I, I, to be honest with you, I hadn't thought about what you've done versus what you've said. What other polling trends do you see affecting the outcome in November? Well, I think there's a gigantic undecided vote. Undecided is really winning. <laughs> when you have a poll that shows uh, one candidate leading the other, in this case, Trump over Hillary, by 42 to 38, uh, you're talking about 20 percent undecided. And uh, they may say they're undecided by voting for, you know, Rebecca, whatever her name is, Stein, the Green candidate, or Gary Johnson, the uh, the other candidate, the independent candidate. Or stay home. I said what the party is, or stay home. But that's a huge undecided vote. Yeah, it's too big. It's too big to to make any of the polls make any sense. In the closing days of the Obama-Romney race, uh, you had... Basically, 48-48, you had four undecided points. Here you have 20. Yeah. So that what's happening is that both all voters basically don't like either candidate. Neither of these candidates is electable. In normal times, neither one would be able to win. But one of them will win. 
either the woman who 67% of the country think is a liar or the man who 70% of the country has an unfavorable opinion of. And, the, and therefore, the race is incredibly volatile. And that's why I say Trump has an opportunity because he can get rid of his bad statements. She can't get rid of her bad actions. He can come on and say, yeah, I'm going to build a wall, but it's going to be an electronic wall, a sophisticated one, and so on. But as you know, if you've got a runaway mouth, that's about the worst thing you can have in a live debate. And I I believe these undecideds are going to have to decide after the live debate when the candidates and their uh, running mates face off. Yeah, but ultimately Trump's problems are solvable if Trump starts behaving himself. Uh, Hillary's problems are not solvable. The uh, conflict of interest with the State Department, the secret emails, uh, the record in Benghazi, that stuff is not going to go away. Yeah, It's going to yeah, become right. more and more inflamed. And therefore, Trump has a much better ability to overcome his negatives than Hillary does. Well, you you make uh, you make solid points there, but I'm not at all surprised with the kind of data that you're dealing with. You have better insights than uh, than those of us that are watching from the sidelines. Uh, in the time that we've got, less, where can lis- listeners go to learn more about your book Armageddon? Uh, well, it's it's flying off the bookshelves, and I got to congratulate you again. Terrific book. Thank you. Well, first uh, you can buy it and read it. You'll learn all about the book by reading it. But secondly. Uh, to learn what my view is and where I'm coming from, uh, I have a website, dickmorris.com, and uh, you can go to it uh, anytime. And every single day, I post a video on that site that's my comment on what's happening politically in the world. This morning's video was, please don't let it be Christy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to laugh. It was actually kind of funny. <laughs> And and the book is also up on Amazon.com for right. folks who uh, right. are good, uh, big Amazon buyers. You can get the book. Again, it's called Armageddon, and uh, it's a very easy, fast read, uh, very plain spoken, as you hear Dick Morris to be a, a very direct fellow. Uh, and uh, I, I was shocked at some of the uh, detail that was in there uh, relative to some of the Clinton uh, doings right. <laughs> behind the scenes. Yeah. I don't you know where that, you right. got that information, but you certainly yeah. uh, did a great well, job. A lot of people ask me, how come you're still alive? <laughs> so I I'm, the, I'm the canary in the coal mine. <laughs> <laughs> you are. <laughs> well, if something were to happen to you, we'll know where to look, Mr. Morris. Well, I wrote a book, so that way uh, it's out there. <laughs> I'm afraid that's all the Thank time that we have left. But uh, before Bye-bye. we say goodbye, uh, again, congratulations on your nice bestseller. Nice Thank you, Mr. Morris. Thank you. If your station is leaving us after the first hour and you have a question or comment to make about our interviews with Jan Brewer and Dick Morris, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. And if you miss the full interviews with Brewer or Morris today, there is no need to fret. You can download episodes of the Costa Report from Apple, iTunes, Podbean, YouTube, and also our website at RebeccaCosta.com. The website address is so easy to remember. How could it be any easier? It's myname.com. So visit the website. Chocked full of videos, chocked full of uh, articles from people that you respect and you like. And uh, and so give it a try. It's RebeccaCosta.com. My guests next week are environmental advocates Philippe and Ashlyn Cousteau who are going to give us a sobering update on what's happening to the coral reefs along the Florida coast um, and elsewhere in the world and what's happening to 
uh, the oceans on which every nation, one way or another, depends. And whether it's shipping or for uh, protein sources or whatever, we we you know we think of the oceans as just being ever enduring, no matter what we do. So uh, be sure and tune in so we can get an update on what's really going down in the oceans. Don't miss Philippe and Ashlyn Cousteau next week, right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for a second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management Thank you.